I'm not trying to mimic Kevin from last week. But there are a couple of things that we may do this morning that you'll think he stole that straight from Kevin last week. But I heard all y'all telling Kevin he did such a good job last week. I thought I might need to model after that then. So, uh, so that's the case. Now, I want to speak this morning uh, a couple of different sort of things. But I think sometimes on Sunday mornings, I'm up there and sort of elevated and you're looking up there and I'm sort of looking down on you as the layout of the building is. And I think sometimes we have this tendency to say that he is telling me what I need to do. But this morning, the only thing really that's missing is a mirror. And I would like for there to be a six foot tall mirror right here. Because I'm speaking to you, I guess, but really I'm preaching this morning to myself. All right? This is entirely meant for me. And if there's something that you can glean from it, something that you gain from it, something that you benefit from it, then it will have succeeded twice. But I hope that it will work for me more than anything else. How many of you have ever been at a spot like this on a road? Some of you may live in a place where there is a crossroads like this. I think about where Ron and Joyce lived uh, right there at that spot in B Lick and you could turn left and their house was right there. But when you were there, if you were stopped, you had a lot of options. You could go to Rockcastle County or to Pulaski County or to Lincoln County. You could go to many different, and you probably knew some of you that are from down that way, you might have known people down every one of those directions. You might have been familiar with those areas there. Well, that's not what this is, but we know what a crossroads is. And have you ever found yourselves in a crossroads, as it were? Might be financially. Could be relationship-wise. It could be career-wise. Well, I think we all find ourselves in these crossroads at some point, right? We get to the intersection and we wonder, what should we do? Where should I go? What direction should I take? Because if you look at this picture in front of you, there's really no defining characteristics except for an old tree there on the left side. It looks to me like that the choice in every which way is just sort of a blind faith guess because it sort of all looks the same. And I think we find ourselves in those situations at times as well. And we often resolve that question through faith. Our assurance, our hope, our belief that the next step we take will have God with us. But sometimes that's easier said than done, right? Sometimes that's easier said than done. So this morning we're going to look at three things, sort of three Bible principles, if it were that, what we can think about when we find ourselves at a crossroads. And again, remember, I'm talking to me more than I'm talking to you. Number one, we have to trust that God has a master plan. Now, let's think about that for just a second. Sometimes when we get to that crossroads, we just want to plow right ahead, right? 
I'm going to go here, I'm going to go there, because I know what is right. I know what the right move would be. And it's going to be over to here. How many of you are familiar with the Bible verse, Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 11? I'd say some people in this room might, cl- might claim Jeremiah 29 11 to be their favorite Bible verse. There's a decent chance that some of you have like a poster or a sign or something framed in your house that says this Bible verse. If you want to turn there, because I don't have it written on the screen, but if you want to turn or if you don't even need to turn because you already know it, you know that it says, for I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. When we think about this concept, this idea of a master plan, well, we can refer back to this verse and be comforted by it. The thoughts that God thinks toward us, thoughts of peace, not evil. I read that and I think that God wants what's best for me, but not necessarily the way that we sometimes measure best, but peace, calm, Comfort, maybe that might be the word that we would use. But the the decisions that we would make that would hopefully have a future and provide hope for us. You know, sometimes our lives are kind of like a rubber band. See, Kevin, I I got my props here as well. But think about a rubber band, right? All of us have rubber bands. We get rubber bands from time to time in the mail, whatever it might would be. But as you pull that rubber band farther and farther apart, there's more tension put to it, right? You can see the size of this. If I had two pencils this morning and were to put them in here, it would make no difference at all. But sometimes we have more than two pencils and we put more in there and it starts to stretch, right? There's some tension in here. I have to be careful with this because the farther I pull it, what might happen to this rubber band? It could snap, it could break, it won't be able to do the job that it was meant to do, but if you've ever had a rubber band break, it might hit you. You know, it may come back and get you there as well. Well, in some ways, our relationships with Christ can be that same way. Sometimes we realize or we forget maybe that God has this plan for our lives, but when we hit a crossroads, we start to make our own decisions. We want to choose our own path. And what we're really doing there is we're putting a whole lot of tension on that rubber band. We're putting a whole lot there, maybe stuff that doesn't need to be there. We're sort of jamming more stuff in there and saying, let, maybe let God handle that as well. Sometimes we make those decisions and those decisions are not our, or not God's will, but are our will. Sometimes they're the opposite. And that tension that's here That tension and frustration builds in our lives as well. And so we have to trust that God has a master plan for us. That can be difficult, though. So our second principle then is we need to seek guidance from many sources. I want you to think about right now, if you had a very important decision that had to be made, and I only allowed you one person to talk with, who would that person be? I would imagine that the answer for almost all of us is a different person. Now, they may play a similar role. It could be a spouse or it could be a sibling, a parent or something like that. But 
all of us would have that specific person. But the reality is, if I only gave you one, that could be a difficult question. What if I said you have a difficult decision to make, but I'm going to let you speak to 10 different people? Some of us might even waive some of those. I don't need to talk to 10 people. I've got my three or four right here. Well, we need to seek guidance from many sources. You can see up there on the screen, Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. We read, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. It's possible that you may have this picture framed, hanging on a, on, a, uh, on a magnet on your fridge or something like that as well. This might be the favorite verse of some of us here as well. But I want you to think about it for a second. Do you know anybody who gives good advice? Do you have anybody in your life that you know gives good That's probably the person that you said, I'm going to talk to. Now, I've asked this question, I think, in here before, but I'll ask it again. Do you know anybody who gives bad advice? Do you know anybody who you pray? It doesn't matter how long the list is. They're not on the list. They're going to be over here. I would never ask you that question. Well, we all have those people, right? We all have those people. And when we're trying to figure out where to turn, we have to seek guidance from the right source. Most to think about three different ways, three different resources that we can tap into. Let's start with the first one. What about guidance? What about help? What about comfort from God's word? Some of you may be familiar with Psalm 119, verse 105. It says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path, right? We know that song we sing here from time to time, thy word is a lamp to my feet. And we like that idea. That concept makes sense to us. That illustration makes me understand. I am being guided. There is light there. That is a guidance for me. And if I don't have that, then the opposite of light is dark. And if I'm walking straight in the light, then I'm going to be stumbling in the dark. But when we make our decision, when we're going to walk through this crossroad, we want it to be lit up as well as possible. Will and I were coming out of Lancaster toward our house, but we came down Crab Orchard Street the other day. And most of y'all may be familiar with that. But when you get out of, when you go down Crab Orchard Street, somewhere on Crab Orchard Street, it stops being the city of Lancaster and it starts being Garrett County. Who has the right-of-way? And if you want to know who has the right-of-way, go out there when it snows. And you'll see neither one of them scrape. There's a stretch of about a little stretch there that nobody scrapes. But when we were driving through there, we were, we were there and, and at the high school. If you've been by there, they're building a new football field and tennis courts and all that. And there's going to be a road entrance in the back. And Will said, they'll have to put a light here. Because it's very dark on that road if it's 8 or 9 o'clock at night. He said, they'll have to put not a street light, not a red light, but a street light so you'll be able to see in. Well, we understand that concept because when we don't know where something is, we're kind of fumbling around. But if there's light there, I can ease right into that spot there as well. Well, God's word serves that same purpose. It's that light there for us as well. When we hear the voice of those that we trust, we'll then follow their guidance. Well, what could be more trustworthy than God's word? Nothing, right? So that's a good place to look for guidance. But it doesn't just have to be that. Because sometimes we read the Bible a little too literal. And it says, should I do this? Well, there may not be exact sentences in the Bible that say you should go, you know, you should go and buy this car. That's not going to come up in the Bible. But there are principles there. So maybe if we don't look at just God's word, maybe we need another 
source. What about a second source then as prayer? Let's think about this for just a second. In Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. You may have that verse hanging on a picture or on your refrigerator. But be anxious for nothing. That's really difficult, right? How much of your life is spent anxious? Pretty good percentage, I bet, right? Mary usually Mary uses a term to not borrow trouble. She says that a lot. And I get exactly what she's saying, but it's difficult, right? It's the, and then whenever whatever it is that happens, happens. We forget all the borrowed trouble, the anxiety from the past. But do you ever see that? Do you ever think about anything? I have, if you went back and calculated, I spent six and a half hours worrying about that. Well, we probably aren't going to break it down and do the accounting on it like that. But if we did, we'd realize that we spend a lot of time sort of anxious. But Philippians 4 says be anxious for nothing. But instead of being anxious to do what? It says in prayer and supplication, thanksgiving, right? And let that peace of God sort of comfort us there. We pray for guidance, for help, and for comfort, among other things. In a perfect world, I suspect most of us would love to say a prayer. In a sense, we're just really asking, and we would love to get an answer right then and there, and then I know right turn, left turn, straight ahead, go back, whatever the crossroads is. It's not how it works, though, right? That's not the way that it always happens. But what God does give us is peace, right? And comfort in what it says in his word. It may not make sense immediately. A lot of times things don't make sense to us immediately. But we have to remember we're not praying for our desires, right? We're praying for help. We're praying for comfort. We're praying for dis- difficult decisions. But we're not praying for our desires even jesus said that right he said jesus not jesus said not my will but thy will be done we know what we would love to have but sometimes that becomes like the wish list but what we're really praying for is comfort and help in decisions that we might face third prayer god's word the third about wise counsel if you ever watch a TV show or a movie that's centered around a courtroom, you'll see the word counsel presented quite a bit. Sometimes the term counselor is used for an attorney. But most of the time, if you are facing a court situation, you want a lawyer to speak for you. There's a reason for it. That person is trained in the law. And everything you know about law came from three episodes of Law and Order that you watch while you're eating lunch. You know, that's all we know about it. It's like, when do we, there's commercial time here. That's not what we're doing, right? We want somebody to help us. Well, we want to seek out that wise counsel. Proverbs 11 and verse 14 says, where there is no counsel, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. Think about that for just a second. What that really is saying is if you're not asking for help, you're going to fall. You're going to lose out. But what it's saying in the second part, if there's a lot of counselors, 
their safety. If there's a lot of people that can give you advice that you can seek help from, that's going to be beneficial to you. Sometimes we get to those crosswords and it just becomes cross. I don't know why I keep saying crosswords. Crossroads. I don't think about drawing the, writing the answers there. When we get to those crossroads, the, those places in our lives can just seem overwhelming, right? How many of us have ever gotten to that point and we've uttered a phrase something like this? Nobody knows what I'm going through. We've probably all said that, right? Well, we just read from Proverbs chapter 11, but Solomon also wrote that there was nothing new under the sun, right? Well, everything that I'm going through, that you're going through, that anybody's going through, somebody else has went through it before, right? So when we go through these difficult times, we say, I'm going to seek out somebody that can help me with this. I'm going to seek out a peer that can help me with this. So what I'm looking for is I'm looking for a 41-year-old male from central Kentucky who has had a similar job and a similar background. A similar, I'm going to ask that person, well, that could work. But what I've just described is a sort of a clone of myself. Sometimes we seek help from the people that look exactly like us. And we sort of forget that there are a whole lot of other people that we can seek help from as well. Think about this. People that we encounter every day that we can seek help with. Number one, parents. Now I can say that as somebody whose parents are still living. But there are people in this room whose parents are no longer with us. But I've asked this before and I'll ask it again. How many of you remember things that mom or dad told you? How many of you, when you make a decision or you do something, it sort of pops into your head? How many of you stop for just a second sometimes and think, all right, mom, who's been gone for years, what would mom say in this situation? We have that, right? Those people can be that. Grandparents can be that. You know, when I was little, I would look at my grandparents and I I think we all did the same. They all seemed very, very old. They weren't, but it seemed that way, right? And you know, when you're in seventh grade and you look at your grandparents, I mean, there might as well be 10 million years between it, right? There's no way that that person has any clue what I'm going through right now. I think we have this thought that grandparents are just spawned at like the age of 40. They just become 40 right then and there, right? But we forget, you look back, your grandparents, they used to be a little bit younger, right? Well, I don't know what seventh grade was like in 1962, but I'm sure it was a whole lot like seventh grade is today, right? Those people know what they're going through. What about neighbors? What about people that we come in contact with in our communities? People that we can talk to, people that we can have these relationships with. What about the person who sits in the pew with you? If you look down the line at the pew. I don't see anybody except for Virgil, I think, and, uh, and uh, Sylvia today, because Billy's not here, that are sitting a solo in a pew. Everybody's got somebody there beside. Now, some of y'all sit by somebody that's married. Pat, you may look at Marilyn and say, I don't want to ask her these questions. I don't know what it would be. But there are people that are in this church that have went through things that will go through as well, right? There are people that have experienced those kinds of things. What about the elders of the congregation? I don't mean to put extra work on you. But I know that at various points in your time serving as elders, the people have come to you and asked you questions or asked for help 
or ask things that you were not expecting them to come and ask. And Kevin, it probably required you there at the moment to like, whoa, you know, I got to You kind of had to think it's something you weren't planning for either. Dad, the same thing with you in that spot. But that's what the job of the elder of the congregation entails, partly, is to deal with that. The point of this is to show that we should seek out wise counsel. We should consult these people when we need help. Number three, step out in faith. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That may be the favorite verse of some people in here. You may have that in a picture or hanging on your refrigerator. But that is a verse that we think of quite a bit because faith is this sort of challenging thing because it requires us to sort of cast off our abilities and have to hope for something else. Sometimes when we get to this crossroad, we need a counselor that not only offers us wisdom, but sometimes we need somebody to shove us out the door. Somebody to shove us forward in the next step. Taking that next step in faith can be challenging, right? But we've already established that there's a master plan by God. We've already talked about this with people that we are in contact with. We've already prayed about it. We've already read about it in the Bible. What's the next step? Well, the next step is to step out in faith. Those of you that were here on Wednesday, I told this, but I wouldn't know that some of you were not here with us on Wednesday. But I've been weighing a decision for a long time, and I decided this week that I was going to stop teaching school. It was a difficult decision because I've done it for nearly 20 years. But there were just times in the last four or five years that I've wanted something different. And I haven't really known exactly what that was, and I think I now know what it was, uh, or what it will be, but I don't have that all lined out just yet. But I told Mary, I said, I had to do this. Because I didn't want to wait until school started and then leave. Because I don't think that would be fair to the kids. But there's always a million reasons not to do something. And if you're waiting around, you can come up with a reason to not. And I wanted to do this, make this decision. And it's been difficult. That's why I said I'm preaching with a mirror in front of me. But I want us to think about three things. And I have spent the last week thinking about these three things nonstop. Number one, we will not be fearless. That's the opposite of what you might hear some people say. We will be fearless, but we will not be fearless. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. This is Paul writing, and you can read along with me if you're there handy. Paul said, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Verse 3, Paul said, I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. 
And my speech and preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. What Paul is saying right there is when I came to you, (laughs) I was nervous. I didn't really know what I was getting into. He says, I'm not the best speaker. I'm not the best talker. I'm not the smartest man that you've ever came in contact with. But he said there, it was a demonstration of spirit and power. That it was through the power of God. Paul said, I have a lot of fear right here. And I think when we take that next step, we have a lot of fear as well. There's been a lot of fear in my house in the last week. But that's what comes stepping out in faith. Hmm. We will not have all the facts. What was the TV show that said just the facts, man? I can't remember what that one was. Dragnet. It's a little before my time, I think. Some of y'all may know that one a little better than me. But we like to have all the facts, right? When we make our decisions, I want to know every single thing, right? And when I take this step, I want to know what this step is going to lead to. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 9. A man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps when we take this sort of leap of faith as it were we may take it without all the facts i've been gathering facts for a long time it still made the decision difficult number three last one we may not often stay where we are i don't mean that in a geographical sense i don't mean that in a moving sense But Jesus told the rich young ruler in Matthew chapter 19, he finished by saying, then come and follow me, right? But I found that the rich young ruler was at that same crossroads picture that we were looking at at the start of this sermon, right? And when he was there, Jesus was in front of him. But there was a whole lot back there behind him. And we see that he went away sorrowful, the Bible says, Because he knew what he should have done, but those great possessions pulled him back. If we stay where we are, we stay at the crossroads. We've made no decision. We have to pick a lane. We have to take a step. And we have to start a new path. And I pray that you'll be with me as I do the same thing. If there's anything that we can do to help you... We always extend these invitations each time. Whatever we can do, however we can help you, we invite you to come while we stand and sing.